Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you for being here today. If you're new with us, we have been trucking through the book of Romans in all of its brutality toward our sinful condition and all of the joy, the upside of knowing Jesus through the Spirit. It's been great. And this is like the pinnacle right here, guys. I know it might be rainy and cold outside, but I'm about to share with you what most people believe is the most exciting and, and most life-giving chapter in all of the Bible. Are you excited? It's Romans 8. I don't even have to say anything. I can just read it a few more times, right? It's good news. Why is it good news? Because the truth that, this is the truth that if it, if it hits us like it's supposed to, finally unlinks our souls from the temptation to view sanctification like a cosmic scoreboard. You know, where, where, you, where, you, where, you, where you have to try out and perform and you hope your good works outweigh your, your sin, right? And you got the scoreboard in your mind. Speaking of scoreboards, last Saturday, I, like you, was watching American football, uh, a playoff game on TV, and, uh, you know, I turned it off around halftime because this game was just getting out of hand. It was 27 to nothing at halftime. I'm like, this is not a game. I'm going to bed. I got to preach in the morning. I need to be rested up. And, you know, the thing that struck me the most before I went to bed was this. Is this Georgia boy is the quarterback for the, for the, the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, got great hair, right? And... Um, this joker has thrown not one, not two, not three, but four interceptions in just two quarters. He is on track for a record. I'm like, this guy, he's got to be like all in his feelings. He's got to be a mess. I know that I would be. When I woke up the next morning to see the score, I was Stunned that the Jaguars won the game. And here's why. This isn't like a billboard for the Jaguars. They lost yesterday anyway. But what was most interesting to me is how that quarterback was so disconnected from that scoreboard. I mean, how in the world can you walk out in the second half and have the kind of confidence that it would take to win at that kind of a level when you have performed so bad? Because here's the thing. When you're a quarterback, you throw Anderson, it's all your fault, Right? And so he, he walks in in the second half and just, and he, he executes, and it's this amazing thing. And this type of living, this type of thinking, the type of freedom to succeed, even in the midst of your tremendous failings, is so attractive to us, yet it is so little of our human experience. That little vignette for me was but a taste of what Romans 8 gives to us in the spirit, church. Scoreboard. If we're honest, we all have a scoreboard, don't we? We had a scoreboard before we met Jesus, and we carried that scoreboard into our life with Jesus. And the harsh reality is, is that if one side of the scoreboard would be our sins against God and others, and the other side would be our obedience, we would always be losing. That's what Romans 1 through 7 is telling us, right? You're always going to be losing. It doesn't matter how good you think you are, you are losing. But this isn't bad news if you're in Christ. And you know how I know this is true in our church? Because I hear condemnation out of your mouths each and every day that I am with you. You hear it out of my mouth sometimes too, I get it. 
When we hear condemnation out of believers' mouths, we know that we are still living by the scoreboard. And the interesting thing is this. You know, I hear it through text messages, through conversations, through if I see a social media post, you know, when I'm, you know, browsing around on Megan's Facebook because I don't have one. Um, You know, condemnation, I just see it. I see it in how you feel and how you view yourself in light of what God has done. And because condemnation is so enmeshed with the lives of professing believers, it's hard to even imagine a life without it, isn't it? And as long as condemnation is an option for our lives, we will always be competing and watching that scoreboard and basing our lives and our joy on that proverbial scoreboard. Today, friends, if we would actually believe what I'm going to share with you from God's word, it's not me, it's, this is God's word, I'm just trying to do it justice here. If we would actually believe this, this we would learn to live an entirely different way than the way that we walked in here this morning living. We're going to realize that at all this time we've been playing the wrong game and that condemnation is actually nowhere to be found in God's economy for believers. So here's our big idea for today as we dig into this. Jesus has grounded our position before the Father through the proof of his life for our progress in the gospel. Let me say it one more time for you. It's kind of our outline too. Jesus has grounded our position. He stabilized us before the Father through the proof, the evidence of his life for our progress in the gospel. Now, the thing is, is that we all want progress in the gospel. We all want to grow in Jesus. We all want to be holy as he is holy. We all want to see our sin be put to death. That comes from understanding what God has done for you, not what you're going to do for God. This is what Romans 8 teaches us this morning. So let's dig into that. That's a three-part kind of outline there. The first part is our position. The second part is the proof of what God has done for us in Jesus. And the third part is about our progress in the gospel. So let's dig into that. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Romans 8.1 and highlight it with the biggest marker you got, okay? <clears throat> Position. Our standing through Christ is secure. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can you hear that and just kind of go on with life? Let me read it one more time. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just just let that sit with you for a second. Maybe you have confusion on if you're in Christ or not. Well, if you have confusion on that, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. That means you're in Christ. If you believe that, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. It cannot be found because it does not exist. In Romans 7, Paul introduces this whole battle of sanctification. We've said it's this struggle in the gospel where we participate with the Spirit to, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to actually change and be transformed. That there's this battle that we're invited into for holiness. In Romans 7, Paul, the, the writer of uh, inspired by the spirit of the book of Romans, uh, he, he leans all the way into his own story, and he shares some familiar battle language. He says this, hey, here's, this, here's the truth about me. The very things that I hate to do are the things that I actually do sometimes, all right? I'm found out, okay? 
And the very things that on the other side I want to do, I can't seem to ever get done, right? I can't seem to get my act together. And it leads him to share the magnum opus of his life in the flesh's work, right? His, the great work of his life. And he says this in Romans 7, 24. Here's what it's all earned me. Wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, when life is a scoreboard of righteousness and sin for you, you will eventually get to this place if you really follow it to its logical conclusion where you will say, wretched man or woman and I, who will deliver me? I can't seem to win. I've never been on top in this game. And Paul says that's exactly where you should be. That's exactly where you should see yourself with the law scoreboard. It always leads us to this overwhelmingly disparaging place. Feels like, to stick with the metaphor, feels like our flesh nature is just running up the score on us always, right? And Paul says this in Romans 8. The game is over. The stands have cleared. The coaches have gone home. Why are you still on the field? We said this last week. Before Jesus, and this is a quote from Tim Keller, before our life with Jesus, we were in a battle that we could never win. The score was always ran up on us, right? Because we're basing our life on the law, on our performance, and it always showed us how bad we were. But because we're now in Jesus, we are in a battle that we will never lose. So my question to you is this. How does it change the way that you actually live when you know that you actually can't lose? Because that's the truth about who you are in Jesus. Think about this. Romans 8, amazing chapter of the Bible. You should read through it, I don't know, maybe every day this week or maybe every day for the rest of your life. It starts with no condemnation, no judgment, right? You know how it ends? No separation. Starts with no condemnation, ends with no separation. So nothing can condemn you in Christ, and nothing can separate you from the love of the Father in Christ. What is the picture that you think God is trying to paint for you and I as we study and we look at Romans 8? It is a picture of intense and ferocious security. No condemnation. No separation, right? Listen, just listen to the, we're going to preach this too. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness, danger of the sword. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life or your fear of it, angels nor rulers or your fear of it, Things present nor things to come. Okay, that's us, right? Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What could be more securing for us this morning, church? No condemnation, no separation. And why am I beating this drum? I know I've been intense in the book of Romans. I so intensely want us to get it because I want to get it with you. 
Why am, I, why am I so intense about this? Because it is impossible for you to grow in Jesus if we're constantly entering in and out of condemnation by believing the lie that the work wasn't finished on the cross. Condemnation can no longer be found for Christians. Like, like here's the deal, like it doesn't categorically exist anymore. It's nowhere to be found. It disappeared the moment that Jesus climbed up on that cross for your sins and died. We are not temporarily out of condemnation because we had a good week, right? We live like that. I live the same way. We're not temporarily out of condemnation, you know, kind of out on work release, but we are permanently out of condemnation forever because Jesus lives. As a Christian, if you're living under condemnation, it's because you have allowed yourself or someone else to define who you are and not Jesus. That's the only solution for it. But that is not from God. Make no mistake. Because the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your Savior would be of no value to you if it was. So I want you to think about your life this morning. Think about the patterns of your life. Think about the, the story before you met Jesus that was based on the flesh. All the buttons that the devil can push in you to lead you back to condemnation. Where is it in your story that you keep resurrecting the scoreboard and thus re-enter condemnation? That is the place precisely that your story must be restoried with the narrative of the gospel. That is precisely where the unconditional love of an eternal, omniscient God must shine in you. Because we will never, ever be able to grow in Jesus unless we actually believe that we're secure. Why? Because we can't afford to grow when we're trying to compete on the scoreboard. So that, that's the first thing, that the most important thing that I could tell you today is if your position isn't secure in your heart and in your mind, you're, you're going to spend your life running the wrong race, playing the wrong game. So you say, hey, pastor, how, how can I know that there's really no condemnation for me? I'm glad you asked. Second, proof. The pleasing life of Jesus is the proof of our position. Listen to Romans 8, 2 through 4 says, as kind of a, evidence of that proclamation of Romans 8.1. He says this, for the law, and it, he means principle right here, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, the law is all about what you've done to earn your position, okay? That's what it's all about. This, and the law... Like, based on the flesh is how you were born into this world. Um, you are 
Like your identity is based on the accumulation of your behaviors and actions in this life. And only you and God really know what's at the bottom of that, right? We're all hiding and living in secret to some degree when we're in the flesh. And sometimes we venture there in the spirit too, don't we? The gospel is a completely different way to live. The gospel starts with done, not do. See the difference? For God has done what the law could not do. But here's the deal. We say that we believe the gospel, yet we find our security by looking at what we've done. Do you see the problem with, the, with how this is working out? Christian, you are free from condemnation, not because you don't deserve it, okay? <laughs> we all deserve it. You're not free from condemnation because you look better than your neighbor. You're not free from condemnation because you didn't commit one of the big boys, you know, one of the big sins, the ones we don't talk about, the ones that get us in real trouble. You're not free from, no, you're condemned because of those things. You're free from condemnation because God has dealt with it. Every time we look at ourselves for confidence in our standing with God, instead of what God has done, we resurrect condemnation and we open the prison cell back up. The law can only do one thing to sinners who are not walking in the spirit, condemn. It can only condemn. We no longer experience condemnation because Jesus has come to absorb the condemnation through his sacrificial death. And he did this so that you and I could have his scoreboard instead of our scoreboard. The perfect righteous requirement of holiness hasn't been minimized so that you can compete. Right? It, it, it's, it's not like, oh, the, the spirit means we got a couple stack players on the team so we can really compete against it now. No. No, that's not what it means for the law to be fulfilled in you. The perfect righteous requirement of holiness has been fulfilled, which means that it's finished. The work is done, but it hasn't just been generally fulfilled. The scriptures in Romans 8 say it's been fulfilled in you, individually. If you're in Christ, the perfect righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in you. It's as if you have always done what God has required from the heart every moment of your life. That's how the Father sees you. Isn't that good news? And it's not just been fulfilled up until this point. It's been fulfilled at every point in your life from the Father's perspective. So that means that you don't have to live the rest of your life trying to catch the scoreboard back up because Jesus ripped the scoreboard out of the ground when he rose from the dead church. The father looks at you and he sees the obedience of his son, Jesus. And because of Jesus, there has never, is never, or will never be a day that you haven't been perfect in your standing before the father. And why? Because you now walk by the spirit, not by the flesh. You don't draw your power from the flesh. You draw your power from the spirit, which has been installed into each and every one of us like a new operating system, right? 
the Holy Spirit offers us an entirely different operating system to live out of. And this is the evidence that each and every one of us need to lean upon for our confidence. There can't be any condemnation to be found in us because the righteous requirements of God's word have been completely and eternally fulfilled in you. And the Spirit is the vehicle to apply all of the Trinity to all of who you are. But this is not the whole story. There's a transformation that's securely taking place in your life right now. Right? No condemnation, no separation. He's kind of boxed us in to say, no matter what happens in your Christian walk, I'm going to finish what I started in you. There's no way you can lose. And so, if that's the game we're playing, there's no way we can lose. We kind of live a different way when you can't lose. That's what I'm talking about right now. Progress in the gospel is your future because through the Spirit, we are taking on the eternal benefits of the salvation, but yet we are applying them right here and right now. That's what it means to walk in the power of the Spirit. Now, the key to progress in the gospel, to transformation, to sanctification, to looking more like Jesus, like each and every one of us want to do, is connection and relationship. The whole thing that God wanted to do is to bring us back into his family. And so we live securely in the family of God as we grow in Christ. See, without the connection to Jesus, without being tethered to him, without abiding in him, we're a bag of dead, lifeless bones. And everything we try to do operates out of that death. But by faith, we have now severed our ties with the law as a potential pathway to becoming pleasing to God. Our growth is now tethered to a whole and flourishing relationship between the Father and the Son that will never change. Listen to what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this passage. I love it. The difference between an unbeliever sinning and a Christian sinning is the difference between a man transgressing one of the laws of England or any other state and a member of a family member doing something that is displeasing to another member of the family, right? He's saying there's two different games here, right? In the one case, a man commits an offense against the state. In the other, a husband, say, has done something that he should not do in his relationship with his wife. This is what it's like to, to sin as a Christian, he says. He is not breaking a law, but rather he is wounding the heart of his wife. That's the difference. It's no longer a legal matter. It's a matter of personal relationship now, and that a relationship of love. The man does not cease to be the husband of the woman, nor the woman to be the wife of the husband. Law does not come into the matter at all. There's no condemnation, he's saying. It lies outside that realm. But in a sense, it's something much worse now than a legal condemnation. I would rather offend against the law of the land objectively outside of me than hurt someone I love. Do you see the difference, church? Do you see the difference in what motivates us to follow Jesus? Jones is saying, sinning as a believer doesn't mean that God is going to divorce you. So quit, quit living out of fear, okay? The relationship's secure. He's not going to divorce you. He's not going to cut you off when he finds out what's inside of you. He already knows what's inside of you. But rather, you're wounding the heart of the person that you have a most intimate relationship with. So how do we tend to that relationship? How do, we, how do we learn to love in such a way and live in such a way 
where we wound less and less the longer that we follow Jesus. That, that's really what sanctification is about. It's two things that Paul says to us. Through the mindfulness of growth in the spirit and through the mortification of sin. Here's what he says in Romans 8, chapter 5, or chapter 8, verse 5, rather, and following. He says, for those that live according to the flesh, the scoreboard way, they set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, they, they set their mind on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it, it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it, it cannot. It can only condemn. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So here's what he's saying. There's no such thing as having a neutral mind. You can't just say, ah, oh, maybe I'll do that, maybe I won't do that. There is a ruling presence in your mind, either the flesh or the spirit of God. And our mind, by default, is set on the flesh. It's set on the things of this world. It's fixated on this world, on the temporary pleasures, on the temporary outcomes, on the constructs that ultimately will not survive judgment day because they cannot and can never please God. So he says, why are you focusing on the temporary things that give temporary pleasures that will not last? To set the mind on the spirit is to fixate our attention on the things that the Holy Spirit gives to us that will never change. Now, now it's basic economics, right? Where do you want to place your time, your heart, your priorities in things that will disappear and are fleeting or things that are eternal and will be with you forever? That's what he's saying. Like this way over here, this is what everybody in the world by default, this is the stream. This is the, the stream of the river right here. Over here, this whole other thing is the spirit. To mind the spirit is to get so lost in who Jesus is and what he has done for you that you can't even remember what it's like to be a slave to sin anymore. That it surprises you when slavery to sin as an option for living through the law becomes an option to you. It's to do as Robert Murray McShane suggested. For every one look at self, take ten looks at Christ. For every one look at your lustful heart, that committed yet another sin, that your prideful heart that committed yet another sin, actually take 10 looks at what God has done for you in Jesus. That would take some time, wouldn't it? I fear it's the other way around. I fear that we take 10 looks. I fear that we walk in here so beat up by the world, so beat up by the flesh and the devil, that we have taken thousands of looks at ourselves before we've even considered what Jesus has done for us. To do this is to drain the heart of this world by letting the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of who you are with what God has done for you. So if someone were to ask you what the benefits of being filled with the Holy Spirit were for you, what would you say? Like if they were to just come up to you at the mailbox when you're checking your mail and they're like, hey, Heard you're a Christian. You guys have the Holy Spirit. I'm investigating it. For you, what are the benefits of having the Holy Spirit inside of your heart? That's a, that's a question you can never imagine someone asking you, right? But it's a question we should be <laughs> we should be prepared to answer because we are so fixated on what God has done for us. Would you would you say that you're a new person? 
that you were dead and far off from God, but now made eternally alive? Or would you say that you have fearless intimacy with Jesus because you are fully known and you are fully loved? Or, or maybe you would say that God's presence is guiding you through the most uncertain of times and situations, and it's such a comfort to you. Would you say that your life now produces eternal fruit of the Spirit because God is with you and for you, and your life no longer produces sin and death? Would you say that you have a friend that will never leave you or forsake you? Or maybe you would say that you now have been adopted into the family of God as a full son and daughter of the Most High King. Or would you say that you finally have a guarantee of your salvation because there is no condemnation and there can never be any separation? What would you say, Christian? What do you believe about the Holy Spirit that you would call to mind about what is true of your new nature in Jesus? Because that is your greatest weapon against the devil's scheme to condemn you. But my fear is we've got a Rolodex of condemnation and a note card of what the Spirit has given to us through Jesus. What is your mind fixed on? If you're a man in here and you're like 99.9% of other men that God has ever made and you struggle with lust, the solution is not don't lust, that's bad. Why? Because all you will do is lust. Because your mind is still on the flesh. The solution is to surrender to the white-knuckling ways of your past and mortify your flesh by walking in the Spirit and calling to God, calling to mind God's pure design for your sexuality, for the purity of how you're being presented to the Father right now, and to confess that sin and let it be handled on the cross, not to manage sin. How do you do that? We draw to mind the things of Jesus. How is Jesus lovely to me? How is his spirit sweet to me? And we do this at the heart level before we do it at the behavior level, and our behaviors will follow our hearts. The second thing we do, if we want progress in the gospel, Paul says we have to mortify sin in the spirit. We actually have to not just let sin kind of hang out, but actually come against it in the spirit. A Puritan pastor by the name of John Owen once said this in his book on the mortification of sin. He said, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. I love it. Romans 8, 9 through 13 says something similar. Paul says this, You, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies right here in the present through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, not to the scoreboard. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, 
you will live. Now, here's the thing. We think that what Paul means by this is that we're to do this perfectly. If we think that we're to do this perfectly, what are we living by? The scoreboard, right? Because we're counting, right? We're not considering the trajectory that God has us on that's one of no condemnation and no separation. That is the trajectory that all of your lives are on if you're a Christian. So Paul is reiterating a significant truth, and it's this. Because we're of the Spirit in Jesus, there are certain things that are no longer true of us. One thing is this. We belong to God, and even though we are faced with sin and sometimes we sin, we have the power of the resurrection through the Holy Spirit that is enabling us to put to death or mortify our sin. So how is it that we function out of the Spirit in this way? How do we put to death our sin? Well, the Holy Spirit has to be channeled and appropriated through the Word of God and by faith. You know, we act like the Holy Spirit is some mystical force that you feel when a good song comes on, you know, some, something that, that just, just looks too good to be true. But the Bible is way more clear uh, than that on what the Holy Spirit is actually doing. The Spirit is giving us new life in the places that we thought were dead. That's the main thing he's doing. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. Colossians, he'll say it a different way in Colossians. He says, if then we have been raised with Christ... If you have the Holy Spirit, you've been raised with Christ, right? Not just in the future, but right now. So if then we've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, fix our mind on the things that are above where Christ is. And by the way, he's seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. He says, set your mind on things that are above. All the things that Jesus has done for you. All the glory you'll enjoy with him. Not on things that are on earth, which includes your sinful life who you were before Jesus. The more you think about that, the more you're going to drift back into that. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Your life in the flesh is dead. The Lord can't find it, right? Because it's gone. You're now hidden with Christ and God, not hidden in your sin. You, my friend, are done with hiding behind the fig leaves of the approval of others, of your job performance, of your relational idolatry, of making people like you. The old you has died, and you have died to its ways, and now you are a hidden people. And what are we hidden in? Over and over and over again, how does the New Testament describe believers? Two words. In Christ. Oh, good job, yeah. In Christ. Not in the flesh. In It's Paul's favorite phrase. Go through the Bible and figure out how many times he describes the life of the believers in Christ. That, because that's how the Father sees you. You are in Christ. Because there's no condemnation and there's no separation. Remember the verse... Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you're actually a Christian, he's saying, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Now, hold on a second, okay. So if, if the spirit of Jesus who raised from the dead lives in me, you know, what's it doing? Here's what we typically think about. We typically think that God's going to give us life at the end of life, but we're just going to endure death until then. That's the way most Christians live. Francis Schaeffer put it like this. He says, within this present life living in the real world, 
I have a holy calling to be a creature glorified. In other words, I'm supposed to take the, the glorified nature of what I will become and walk in this world with it. It means that through faith I'm to die to all things good and to bad, but then to take my resurrected body as though I had already been raised from the dead and step back into this present world to serve in the power of the indwelling spirit. My goodness, never thought about it like that. To live as though the resurrection already happened for me, for you. I love this quote because we are hidden in Christ and filled with the Spirit. And we're called to put on the resurrection before the resurrection actually comes because we know it's happening. And we have the power inside of us to do that. There is more life in Jesus than there is death in the devil, friends. And God desires to give that to you this morning. So that means that when we walk in a sinful world with the power of the resurrection... We are believing the end of the story before we engage in the present reality that we're faced with. So for this instance, here's how we mortify sin in the power of the Spirit. We live with a different perspective about conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is a word that Paul used, I'm laying on the plane here, is the final verdict of what sin earns us. It's a hopeless sentence that leaves us in despair and misery about our condition. When we're under condemnation, we look at sin while we're still locked in a prison cell. There is no hope of us getting out of this thing. But conviction is much different. The same sin is still in play, but what's changed is your nature. Sin still leads to bondage, and sometimes you still might visit that bondage. You walk into that prison cell with your unbelief, but the difference is this, now the prison door's open, and you can walk out of it through repentance. See, condemnation, you like this? I don't know, should that be Brandon in there? That's Brandon in there. Maybe Dwayne, we haven't picked on him. So there's the difference, condemnation versus conviction, right? Condemnation means the door is still shut, there's no hope. Conviction means this, you, you wandered into there, you wandered into the old you, but you can walk out through repentance because the spirit of the living God lives inside of you. See, condemnation was born out of guilt, right? But conviction was born out of grace. A condemnation was born so that you would feel guilty and separated and isolated with no hope in the world. Conviction was born out of God's own heart for you to show you and give you the grace that you need. Condemnation leads us to conceal. We, we can't afford to reveal who we really are when we're living condemned. But conviction leads us to confess because that's how we walk out of the prison cell, friends. Condemnation leads us to self for the fix. So it's always pointed on you. How are you going to change this? Conviction leads us to see Jesus not as only our Savior but the way that we walk in this world. Condemnation tells us to try harder, to do better, right? It's always pointed at us. Conviction leads us to repentance, to to turn around, to do an about face and walk out, a thing that we could never do when the Spirit of God wasn't living inside of us. Condemnation leads us to more and more failure, more and more to the end of ourself. Conviction leads us to actual change and transformation. Friends, when we truly believe that we can no longer be condemned for sin, the real journey to mortifying our sin and the power of the Spirit can begin. How? 
Because we can operate out of an honesty that we could not afford to operate out of while the cell was still locked. If confession of sin that leads to life and forgiveness cannot lead us to condemnation or separation, but rather to life and peace and growth and harmony with God, we'll run to the light instead of avoiding it. And that is where our hope is found. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.